Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Normally, we in the Lutheran Church don't really make a big deal of uh, federal or uh, secular uh, holidays that are on the, the secular calendar. Uh, at least in our Sunday sermons, it's, it's not our place uh, really to honor people's vocations, uh, but rather to proclaim Christ's forgiveness uh, both within and without those vocations. Uh, but when today, Trinity 3, which also happens to be Father's Day this year, and the appointed text, as you just heard on Trinity 3, uh, is the pinnacle example of a father from Scripture, the parable of the prodigal son and the the welcoming father, it's, not, it's hard not to talk about the vocation of father. Now, a word about fathers, because some of you might think, well, this is going to be a really great sermon to tune out, because it doesn't apply to you. Contrary to what you might expect, fathers are fathers, not simply because they have children. Fathers are fathers because God has made them a reflection of himself in his relation to his son, Jesus. Think of it this way. God didn't at some point look at a man, let's call him Joe Dude, and Joe Dude's son, and and decide, you know what, I'm going to pattern myself after this guy. Uh, From this time forward, I'm going to be known as God the Father, and and I'm going to beget a son, Jesus. No, no. God is eternally Father and eternally Son. God is not a reflection of fathers. Rather, fathers are a reflection of Him. So St. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, or the Pater, of our Lord Jesus Christ, for from whom the entire patria, or family, or fatherhood, in heaven and on earth receives its name. So what does this mean? Even if you don't have children, it doesn't mean you aren't or can't be a father. In fact, you might be a father to someone else, maybe without even knowing it. Perhaps someone whose biological dad has decided to forsake his vocation, especially the most important aspect of fatherhood, the act of giving, of giving the gospel, of forgiving. And it's this duty of fatherhood, this act of forgiveness, that is the main thing in our parable. Actually, in all three of them. In all three parables, something goes missing. Uh, A sheep, a coin, and a son. And through them, the stakes get higher each time. Uh, The first, you have 100 sheep, and and only one of them goes missing. In the second, you have 10 coins, and, and one of them goes missing. And then in the last, you have only two sons, and half of them go missing. And yet in all three of them, you see the shepherd go out, you see the women go out and find the coin, and then you see the father. And through them, Jesus is teaching what the spiritual duty of fathers and the duty of spiritual fathers is to be, to bring back the lost. Now, to do this for sheep is easy. You go look for it. To do this for a coin is easy. Again, you look for it. But what does this practically look like for a person? 
maybe even your own child. In the parable, it doesn't look like this father does much. Uh, He seems like a pushover. He caves and he gives his whiny, arrogant son what he wanted, and then he stays home. But he does a bit more than that. A lot of it on scene. Uh, Before this incident recorded in our parable, uh, we understand that this father was extremely gracious and generous, uh, treating even his his slaves, his servants, with the utmost respect and and honor, giving them uh, way more, more than anything uh, that they would ever deserve, uh, giving them the most utmost respect and love. Everything this father did was in and and, and from grace. And, And then the first son, when he asked for an inheritance, this this is something that actually uh, this younger son should have had zero chance of getting at all. Uh, in that culture, uh, the, only the firstborn son received inheritance. And actually, uh, if a younger son were to ask uh, this from the father, the entire community should actually throw him out of, of the whole community. But that's not what the father does. But this son basically says to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. The only thing you're good for is your money. So give some to me and and let me go. And amazingly, that's what the father does. He doesn't kick him out of the community. He gives his son what he asked for. But then the next thing the father does is even harder to believe. He waits. His son's demands are demands of freedom. Uh, But the freedom turns out to be a disaster, not because the freedom is bad, uh, but because its root is desperation. The son can't wait. He wants everything now. He wants everything now. Uh, And then he spends it all now on on foolish things in a desperate attempt to be free. But the father waits. He doesn't beg his son to stay. He doesn't bribe him. He doesn't send a servant to check on how he's doing every day or, or check his Facebook status every day or, or call or, or text his son every other day. He waits. And what makes this father able to wait? Unlike most parents today whose identities are so unhealthily intertwined with their children and, and making their kids do all the things uh, and be all the things that they never got to be, This father is a father not because of his kids, but because he is a reflection of the love of God the Father towards his son, Jesus. Now, don't confuse this with apathy, that it doesn't matter uh, what your child believes or does. If that were the case, Jesus wouldn't have told the other two parables about the, the shepherd and the woman who goes looking for what was lost. The father in this parable isn't some doting man who fathers from a distance and and so doesn't really know or care what's going on in his kid's life, but then steps in all of a sudden when things get bad and and says, I'm I'm sure it'll work out in the end. Without this father actually stepping in and fixing it, it won't work out in the end. It would end in total and eternal ruin and death. And in fact, it's that his father's identity is rooted in the father and not in him that allows this 
wayward son to return. He knows his father will always be home for him and won't desert him. The son, when he finally realizes this, when he finally, uh, when the freedom finally reveals itself to be slavery towards his own passions and lusts, he comes to his senses, as Jesus says. He's reached the point of utter despair, complete and utter despair. Finally, after being crushed by the law, and that's what the law does, it crushes, the son now knows he is dead in sin. He doesn't deserve what his father gave him, and he never even deserved anything his father gave him even before. And he remembers the freedom and grace of his father, even towards his father's servants and slaves. And so he resolves to confess, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Basically, he decides to, to try to cut a deal with his father. He'll be a slave. But little does he know that the father has been waiting for him this entire time. While he was still far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, hugged his son, and kissed him. The father in this story doesn't come marching out, wagging his finger and yelling at his son about how badly he messed up and holding his son's errors over his head. That's what the son expected. That's what we expect, too. We expect the law. It's at least how we try to fix things. Right? Someone, someone messes up, and what do, what do we do? We're going to take their freedom away. They're not going to do that again. But this father gives him even more. He forgives him. He gives him the freedom of the gospel. Notice that this son begins to try to confess, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then immediately, even before his son is able to finish his pathetic, useless confession and try to cut a deal with his father to become a slave, his father quickly says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The son's confession is not wanted. Not wanted because the dead don't need to confess. They only need to be brought back to life. One theologian said it this way, confession is not a transaction. It's not a negotiation with God in order to secure forgiveness. It is after the last gasp of a corpse that can finally afford to admit it's dead and accept resurrection. God the Father has forgiven us, absolved us. He's brought us back to life not because we confess, but because of his grace and mercy, shown by what this father does. This son, filthy from sin, from, from prostitution and adultery, is covered in the robe of his father's righteousness. Literally covered in the father's forgiveness. Every terrible thing this son has done is covered. Someone passing by wouldn't even be able to tell the difference now between father and son. 
This is the forgiveness that you and I are clothed in. He gives his son his signet ring. With this ring, with a wax seal, the son could literally sign anything on behalf of his father. If he wanted to, he could sign away the rest of his father's inheritance. This is the ultimate sign of trust and restoration. Everything the father has, literally everything, not just a portion now, everything is now his. And everything the father has is yours. And finally, the fatted calf is killed. This is an animal that had one duty in life, one purpose in life, to give its life for a party for the Son. This is what Jesus has done in our place. He has been killed. He has died so that we can feast, so that we can party in the great supper, the great marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. Without this father stepping in and doing something, his son would remain lost and dead. But this father steps in. He steps in to forgive, to release his son from the slavery of his sin. At this point, the older son is now overcome with the same sin that his younger son, younger brother, has just been forgiven of. He accuses his father of of never realizing how much better he was than his younger brother and how much more deserving of his father's things. But the father again steps in. This time he applies the law. Firmly but lovingly he says, Son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. But then he follows it up with a reminder that this is all about the good news, the gospel of redemption and resurrection. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The act of making the dead alive, of opening the door to freedom, of life and heaven, wherever there's the forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation, there is heaven. The church calls this the office of the keys. Confession and absolution. Absolution, the authority to forgive sins, is a gift from God that God has entrusted to the whole church on earth, the whole church as our mother, and given specifically in the church uh, to fathers. In the home, to the head of the household, to the priest of the family, and in the church, publicly, to pastors, the spiritual fathers. But forgiving is hard. Giving gospel is much more difficult than giving law. We're great at the law. We like to, to make, we, we like to think we can make people do what we want and tell them what to do. And so our society thinks that the picture of a, of a real, of a true father is, is someone who's able to be strong and to keep everybody in line, uh, to be the bicep, right? When our kids do something wrong, we're there to set them straight. So going to church or teaching the faith at home, that's that's not the job of a strong father. But as one commentary said, fathers are not simply mothers with bigger muscles and a deeper voice. Biblically, dad is not the bicep. 
the Father is the head. He's called to do what a head does, to speak. To speak the gospel to his family. And it takes much more strength to do this. It takes much more strength to make someone free than it does to keep them in bondage. Freedom is of the gospel and is given by the powerful word of the Father. To be a father is to forgive. Fathers, for for all those of us who have failed, uh, we too can come home. We have a father who forgives us. And so fathers, forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.